Welcome to From the Heart with Daryl Underwood, pastor of Servant's Heart Chapel in Clovis, New Mexico. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by this week's sermon. Now here's Pastor Daryl. We have a uh, problem in America. By and large, American Christians do not take sin seriously. We just kind of, American Christians just play it off, just make excuses. I mean, if you Google sins in the church, you find all kinds of, in fact, I, I found a, an amazing video, very tough. Uh, a woman preacher was was uh, talking about uh, sexual sins in the church. Young people doing things they knew was wrong. She's like, you know, if you go uh, to to a man's house or a woman's house at night, just you and them, it's a booty call. That's what she and she called it straight out, and she called it what it was. Because we tend to rationalize things and oh, it's not that big of a deal. And so there's lots of sins that continually creep their way into churches and into people's lives. And so Christians, American Christians, don't take sin seriously. The rest of America certainly doesn't take things seriously. Cody, could you turn the fan on, please? Thank you, son. Certainly don't take sin seriously. Sin seriously. I mean, I did a quick search of, of sin in, in songs, and man, there's tons of songs that the main premise is about sin, and, and they, it treats it very lightly and kind of jokingly. I mean, the, the Sin City, right? Everybody vacations at Sin City. If, if, if you have a dessert that's, that's uh, particularly rich and full of calories, it's a sinful dessert. Oh, I'm having a sin. And, and, and then you have people that, you know, somebody gets caught doing something they, they shouldn't and they're embarrassed by it. You know, someone else will go, oh, sinner. Ha, ha, ha. They, 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 they blow it off. The Bible, Christians, uh, American Christians will follow the Bible as long as it makes sense to them. As long as it's convenient. We excuse sin in our lives and say it's not that big of a deal. But it is a big deal. Amen? Sin destroys. It destroys relationships. It destroys lives. It destroys souls. Everyday sinners... Uh, people who reject Christ and live in sin live a life of suffering and loss and play a very dangerous game of chicken with eternity. Jonathan Edwards, in his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, said this. He said, there is nothing that keeps wicked men any moment out of hell but the mere pleasure of God. Did you get that? Nothing, there's nothing that keeps wicked men at any one moment out of hell, but the mere pleasure of God. What does that mean? It means people 
who uh, uh, have rejected Christ and living in sin are on thin ice. Years ago, I was contacted by the local jail here. There was a man who I'd visit on occasion, and he was about to get out. And he had nowhere to go. And so they called me and said, hey, can you come pick up this guy and help him out? I said, of course I can. And they, they sent me to a building I'd never been before. And it was nighttime, and the building was not well lit. It was very dark around the building. And to be honest, I wasn't sure where to go into the building. And I went to one set of doors, and it was locked. And I thought, well, maybe I go. There maybe was no set of doors around the other side. So I'm walking around the building in the dark, and it's January, and there's snow on the ground. And suddenly, I'm knee deep in water, very icy cold water, soaking into my shoes and my socks. You see, I had accidentally walked onto a retention pond. Didn't even realize it. And the ice was not able to support my weight. So just a couple seconds and I was in the water. And I had no time to react. I couldn't save myself. I couldn't jump and, and react. There was no chance. And that's exactly what happens with someone who plays with God and plays with sin and says, Oh, I have tomorrow. I have later on. And suddenly, that ice is going to break, and they're going to find themselves launched into eternity, ready or not. Sin is a very serious thing. This is Jason Harris. I met Jason... I uh, back in 2013, he was staying at uh, Daryl Stetler's. Uh, he had at a time he had kind of like a, a house for young men, kind of get their get their life together and on track. Andrew Dowler was uh, the guy in charge of that one. They were, came over to help us. There's there's Cody. <laughs> yeah. So Andrew Dowler. He was the one in charge of the young men. They came, when we started the church, they came to help us. They did some stuff for us, and, and so they brought a whole bunch of young people, including the, these guys, including Jason Harris. Jason Harris was uh, had had a lot of problems, a lot of running the law. He had, uh, had drug issues, problems with addiction, and, and, but he had found Jesus. And he'd been clean for a while and was at the halfway house and he was doing good. He, missed, he had a wife and kids back in Georgia and, and he missed them. But he knew he was doing the right thing, getting himself clean and straight and on the right path and learning how to be a, a positive influence in society, a productive citizen of society. And he was just so excited. Remember Jason Cody? He was so happy and full of joy. And later that year, uh, he, he went in Oklahoma City, he started 
the devil started getting to him. And he started uh, he started to think about home and how he missed his kids and and he also missed his drugs. He didn't say that, but and 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 he decided, well, I'm gonna go back home and be with my family, and I'm gonna I'm still gonna try to stay clean and do this and that. And Daryl Stetler said, look, you can't do that. Don't do that. This is a big mistake. Andrew Dowler told him, don't do it. It's a big mistake. I told him, don't do it. It's a big mistake. He tried getting me to, to pay for his bus, bus ticket. I was like, I can't do that. That'd be a big mistake. His own family was telling him to stay where he was and get better. His wife was telling him to stay where he was and get better. But he rejected all that. I'm going to do what I want to do. And so he left, and not long after that, he posted this on Facebook. Done got dirty in Georgia. I don't think you have to be familiar with the drug scene to know what he's talking about. I think you can figure that out. And you see the concern. Someone says, not sure all the details, but I was hoping the best for the kids' sake. Two exclamation points. They're pretty angry. And then someone says, where's my sister? He went back into sin. He rejected Christ, rejected God. Went back into sin. And this is October 1st, 2013. Almost exactly... A year later, I wish I could tell you that Jason saw his foolishness like the prodigal son and realized that he needed to get back to God and get back on the straight and narrow. I wish I could tell you that. But one day I was on Facebook a year later in October of 2014 and I saw some posts by Jason's friends on his wall and I realized he was gone. He had committed suicide. It's over. Sin destroys lives. I get so angry when I see people let sin destroy their lives Destroy their families. Destroy their children. It's not a joking matter. It's not something we take lightly. But in America, we, we have been lulled into that. Remember I talked about uh, that documentary about the Christians in Iran? In that video, it was a fascinating, something really caught my attention. There was an Iranian woman, she's a Christian woman, she came to the U.S. And that, with her husband. And after they were here for a little while, she asked her husband if they could go back to Iran. And people were like, why? Why would you, the persecution going on? And 
You understand if you're a Christian woman in Iran, if they find out you're a Christian, the wrong people find out you're a Christian. Rape and then murder are usually the next things to follow. But she wanted to go back to that risk. Why in the world would she want that? You know what her answer was? She talked about how in America, people in the American church have been lulled by what she calls Satan's lullaby. Satan's lullaby. We don't have persecution. We live very privileged lives. I mean, some of you that are struggling financially, I hope you realize that you're worldwide, you're still richer, wealthier than 90% of the world population. So we're so, it's so easy for us, we go to sleep as Christians. I find that fascinating. And, 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 and to her, being in America with freedom and, and uh, all these uh, uh, material blessings was a greater risk to her soul than living in Iran. She'd rather face the risks in Iran than the U.S. We've been lulled to sleep. It's time to wake up. I have never, I realize I've never preached a sermon on sin. Uh, not intentionally. Um, I just never did that. So I'm going to do that today. That's what we're going to talk about. And I'm going to go through a lot of scriptures. I'm not going to put them all, I'm not going to put them, there's too many scriptures to go through. So I'm not going to put them on the screen like I normally do. It would take too much time. But if you want a copy of my sermon, I can give you a copy of the sermon so you can look read the scriptures yourself. We can do that. It's very easy. First, I want to talk about the definition of sin. Sin is a willful transgression of a known law of God. Sin is when you know where the line is, you know exactly where the line is, and you decide to cross it. You make the decision, I'm going to cross that line anyways. I know it's wrong, I'm going to cross it. A, a toddler is a, a great person to exemplify a willful transgression against a known law. Don't touch it, right? And they will get closer until they finally do touch it. I did it. What are you going to do about it? That's sin. That's a willful transgression against a known law of God. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing. That's a word we don't really use that often anymore. It's a wild party that can 
to become an orgy. Just wild, that drunken wildness, that's carousing. Um, uh, anything similar. I'm warning you about these things, he wrote. And as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 6 says, Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Did you know that? Greed is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. God's wrath is coming upon those who do those things. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-10. through 10, Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males. No thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. Did you notice something interesting about all those lists? is none of them was a mistake or an accident. They were all very clear moral failures. I also want to talk about the origin of sin. Origin of sin, at first we're going to, we're going to discuss the, the sin, how what brought sin into the world, and then what brings sin into our own life. Genesis chapter 3 shows us how sin was brought into the world. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all wild animals that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Let me first mention The serpent's inhabited by the devil. This is the devil trying to do this. And when we see it from other scriptures, that proves that. Also, note that Eve, what Eve said was not accurate. God did not tell them they couldn't touch it. She added her own thing into the answer. Verse 4. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with him, who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Eve fell in transgression because she questioned God. She questioned God's intentions. And she thought she was in a better position to decide what is right and wrong than God is. A lot of people still do that today. They decide for themselves what is right and wrong without considering God's input or ignoring it. And then Adam, notice Adam, Adam wasn't deceived. He knew very well what he was doing. He put his wife before God. She did it. Well then I'm going to do it too. And a lot of people do that. They put their uh, spouses. Or, or family member. Or a friend. 
or their job. They put other things before God. James chapter 1 verses 13 through 15 shows us how sin comes into our lives. James wrote, No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, but and he himself doesn't tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Very good. So sin in our lives starts out in our heart. There's an evil desire. The devil will take a natural desire and try to get you to to make it an evil desire. And, 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 And gives birth to an actual sin. And that sin gives birth to death unless unless you go to God, right? Because the wages of sin is death. So it starts in our heart. There's an inward sin that takes place before the outward sin. We, we, uh, outward sins are the most common talked about. When a, when a baby Christian gets saved, someone gets saved, it's their outward sins that they start changing. Oh, I'm going to stop cussing. I'm going to stop lying. I'm going to stop smoking. I'm going to stop sleeping with my girlfriend. And then as God matures them, God starts working on the inward sins. I need to stop having bitterness towards someone who hurt me in the past. I need to stop looking on women with lust in my heart. Then we see there's an effect of sin. There's an impact of sin. Because you see, sin destroys, it corrupts. Someone once said, I couldn't find the originator of this saying because everybody has quoted it. It's been around for a long time. It's a saying, I heard a preacher say it decades ago. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. Keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. Sin will, anytime you're tempted to do something that doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but you know it's wrong, remember that sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And I know that to be true in my own life. I'm finding as I walk with God, I'm becoming more ashamed of sins of my past. And I don't like talking about the evil I've done before the Lord. So I won't go into detail, but I'll tell you this. I know from personal experience. That that is true. 
the cost is always mu much greater than what you think it's going to be. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32 says, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless, and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts. Now, this is the effect of sin. God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served what has been created instead of the Creator who is praised forever. For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men, in the same way, also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lusts for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind. God allowed, you want to do what you want to do? Then I'm going to let you continue believing what you want to believe. That is a very scary idea. That's how God handles those who reject him. Verse 29, they are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They're full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, useless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Though they know God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. They even apply. They, they not only involve themselves in the sin, oh, they're excited when they see other people involved in great sins. Bravo. Then we have a disillusionment of sin. Sin always promises more than it can deliver. And I was going to go into detail in, in the second Samuel chapter 13. But I won't read the whole story because we're kind of running out of time. I encourage you, if you don't know the story of uh, Absalom and Amnon and his sister Tamar. Uh, Amnon had a half-sister named Tamar. 
and he fell in love with her. And he, oh, I have to have her. He didn't want to marry her. He just wanted to get laid. And so he, he tricked her into being alone with him, and then he forced himself on her and raped her. And then after he did what he did, he decided he hated her and pushed her off, and he ended up getting killed. But at that moment, in his mind, it made perfect sense to do what, what he wanted to do. The disillusioned, it makes perfect sense. We can rationalize it and think it's not that big of a deal. No one cares. Then we have the stress of sin. You know, sin causes a lot of stress in our lives. It produces physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual stress. I remember reading uh, the book Crime and Punishment. It's a giant tome. I, I didn't actually finish it. I read most of it. Uh, but Rodian uh, Romanovich is the main character. And he, at the beginning of the book, he kills an old woman in order to steal from her. And the rest of the book is him dealing with that guilt and how it's tearing apart his mind. It wears on him. Every day he wakes up and he wonders if he's going to be caught. He wonders if somebody knows. There's a physical impact on sin. You know, negative attitudes and feelings of helplessness and hopelessness can create chronic stress which upsets the body's hormone balance, depletes the brain chemicals required for, for, for us feeling happy, and even damages our immune system. And that's from some secular medical journal. But sin in your life causes feelings of helplessness and hopelessness. Did you know it has an emotional impact? Anxiety, depression, anger. Did you know the psychological impact I was telling you about earlier? I know of a man who many years ago molested his daughters. And after since that point. He asks his daughters for forgiveness. He asks God for forgiveness. But after, year, after 20, 30 years, he, his mind started to go. He, he got to where he couldn't handle anything. He can barely take care of himself. And mind you, he has a twin brother who's doing just fine. And I don't know for sure, right? I, I may not have exact evidence, but I can't help but wonder if his past sins is what, especially the egregious sins such as that, had an impact on his mind.
I think I'm going to stop here. I'm kind of halfway through. So I'll finish up part two next uh, Sunday. But next Sunday we'll talk about the danger of sin and the solution to sin. You don't want to miss that. Actually, let me try to finish this. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not actually halfway through. I was a lot closer than I thought. So the danger of sin. Romans chapter 11, verses 17 through 24. Now, some of the branches. So I won't read all of this. But Romans 11, 17 through 24, if you want to read it later. Uh, Paul is talking about us being grafted into Christ. He likened Jesus to a vine, and when we get saved, we get grafted in to him, our life source, our hope. And he warned, he warned us to remain in the Lord's kindness. Uh, actually, verse 20, do not be arrogant, but beware, because if God did not spare the natural branches, talking about the Jewish people, he will not spare you either. Verse 23, and even they, if they do not remain in unbelief, will be grafted in again. So if you start to stop believing in God, God will cut you off just like he did with the Jewish people. Hebrews chapter 6, 4 through 6. For it is impossible to renew to repentance those who are once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who shared the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's word and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away. This is because to their own harm they are re-crucifying the Son of God and holding him up in contempt. So he's saying those who once knew God and had rejected God have fallen away as long as they keep rejecting God. The only way, right? The only way is Jesus. If they reject him, there's no other source of repentance. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. By uttering boastful, empty words, they seduce with fleshly desires and debauchery people who have barely escaped from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. Since people are enslaved to whatever feeds them, defeats them. For if having escaped the world's impurity through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in these things and defeated. The last state is worse for them than the first. So they, they were saved, but then they get back entangled, back in sin, and their state is worse than before they knew Jesus. Verse 21. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy command delivered to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a washed sow returns to wallowing in the mud. 
Galatians 5.4, you are trying to be justified by the law. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated with Christ. You have fallen from grace. You can fall from grace, in this case, if you rely on what you do. That's legalism. That's not Christianity. It's not about following a bunch of rules to earn my way to heaven. And nowhere will you find that it dishonors Christ. Nowhere in the Bible will you find that it dishonors Christ to repent of sin, even after you're saved. In fact, in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, Jesus is talking to the Christians in Ephesus. In Revelation 2, Chapter, or chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, Jesus is talking to the Christians in Ephesus, and he's talking about all the wonderful things they are doing. And he said, but I have one problem with you. You have left your first love. And the Bible says, verse 5, remember then, this is Jesus talking to the Christians in Ephesus, remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. So Jesus is telling a group of Christians to repent of their sin. And then he warns them, if you don't, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. And we think that's referring to that church's influence in the community for Christ. The lampstand is removed. That church becomes another community center. God doesn't move in the church. So what's the solution to sin? Obviously, sin's pretty bad, isn't it? It destroys. It tricks us. There can be eternal consequences to sin. Well, what about Romans 6? Romans chapter 6. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace may multiply? Should we continue in sin? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Since a person who has died is freed from sin, now if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Because we know that Christ has been raised from the dead, will not die again. Amen? Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you two consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I have... Let's skip down to verse 23. For the wages 
of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen? Thank you. Don't you know, oh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, through 11, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived, no sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And I love this verse. And some of you used to be like this. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Jesus says, nobody who does sins against God will get into heaven. And some of you were like that, but Jesus saves. Praise the Lord. Amen. Psalms 19, 13-14, Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule over me. Then I'll be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer, because Jesus saves. Proverbs 28, 13, The one who conceals his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy because Jesus saves. I don't have to let sin rule my life. Jesus has freed me from that. I don't have to live like that. Let's not live as if we're still chained to sin. Let's endeavor to live holy lives that are pleasing to the Lord and press on. Amen? Let's stand. Thank you for joining us. If you liked this podcast, then hit the subscribe button. Also, take some time to rate us. Feel free to check out our website at servantsheartchapel.org and you can email us at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com. Thanks again and have a blessed week.